hit the studio, cause I'm paid for. You're now tuned in to the Young, Black, and I Invest podcast show. With your host, Monique Malavent. And three dynamic women with a whole lot of attitude around the growing racial wealth divide, economic equality, and their interviews with influencers that are proactive about making a change. Start my mission, leave my residence, thinking how I could I get some dead presidents. I need money. On this episode, I'm going to take some time to highlight and introduce our second change maker. Let's get started and invest our time to Dr. Hopkins. Justin S. Hopkins, PsyD, is a licensed clinical psychologist from Queens, New York. He obtained his doctorate from Regent University and attended Hampton University A as an undergraduate. He currently resides in Washington, D.C., where he works as a staff psychologist for Georgetown University Law Center and operates a private practice in DuPont Circle. He specializes in individual, couples, and group psychotherapy for adolescents and adults. He has experience working with physical and emotional traumas, personality issues, relationship concerns, and depression. He further has expertise working with issues around gender and race. Dr. Hopkins is a psychodynamic clinician which means he believes the unconscious mind plays a powerful role in human development in everyday life. Dr. Hopkins is further passionate about social justice and diversity. He believes psychodynamic therapy can play a vital role in liberating people from oppressive norms. Thank you, Justin, for being here with us today. Thanks. Dr. Hopkins. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Dr. (laughs) Hopkins. You guys are friends. Justin is just fine. Oh, Thanks for nice. having me. We're nice. another level. The way I remember him way well, back in Hampton days. Oh, how far back? It's been like a decade now, but yeah. you know, he's counting. Yeah. It's been a while. <laughs> you were so a little older than us. Remember that, Mary? Not to date ourselves. Uh-huh. Right. But, uh, yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yes, no, thank you for being here. We definitely would like to, you know, hear a little bit more. I, we, yes, I know you're from the Hampton days, but, you know, tell the audience a little what bit. What do more. I do? What do I do? What does a psychologist do? Sure. How did you get into psychology, too? Yeah, first Great question. Um, Is it crazy people at Hampton that pushed you there? <laughs> <laughs> he was majoring it before Marianne Fryer. Crazy is thank a pejorative you. word. We try not to use that word. But also, uh, no, of course, HU was amazing. Um, but, okay, so how did I get into this? Well... Well, first, let me at, like answer, I guess, what a psychologist does, right? A psychologist is basically a doctor of the mind, right? So I learn all about human development, theories of how the mind works, and I do individual therapy, couples therapy, and family therapy, as well as group therapy on occasion. Uh, and uh, so that's kind of like, that's kind of my, my, um, my bread and butter. That's my expertise in, in understanding mm-hmm. like, how the mind works and understanding certain uh, clinical theories. Um, I got into this because, so I grew up in Queens, New York. Um, my grandfather was a barber, owned a barbershop. And one of the things I like realized growing up is that the barbershop is like literally one of the only places in the world, essentially, that black men actually talk about their issues exactly. and open up wow. about some That's an interesting you know, observation. And yeah, very true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's wow. very true. It's like, yeah. we're, it's really one of the few places that relationship between a uh, customer and barber is just different, wow. you know? Um, and I realized there, there were certain things lacking in um, my relationships with other uh, men of color and, uh, 
and, and seeing my friends have trouble in their relationships with, with, with other people and just mm-hmm. realize there's certain barriers, particularly for black men, about opening up and mm-hmm. talking about things. And, mm-hmm. and those barriers aren't there for other people to the same extent mm-hmm. or perhaps Fair. even not at all, okay. right? Okay. Depending on like gender, race, so on and so forth. So in just seeing that, I kind of, um, uh, I kind of, you know, just saw that there, there was an opportunity there, you mm-hmm. know, and I realized there weren't many mental health resources in my community. And mm-hmm. so I just kind of like grew into this space of being able to talk to people more about things that are going on with them from mm-hmm. growing up in a barbershop, working there during the summers, and then um, realizing that there's a, an initiatives and there's a lack of it in our communities. And awesome. so that's kind of what got me here. Awesome. I think that's amazing. I think, like I said already, that was an excellent observation. Who would have even thought about that? Yeah, it's like a, in those terms that why black men love going to the barbershop. Barber <laughs> and that, really that's our therapy. I mean, that's their therapy. It's really that's great. Don't get me wrong. Like, a shape up goes a long way for the conference. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Mental health. <laughs> right. Right. But, but, yeah, I mean, you know, there's, wow. uh, there's certain that things that you can talk cool. about in the barbershop, and it's, it's pretty cool. Awesome. Okay. Well, I think Mary Mary had a couple questions she wanted to dive in. I have some for you as well. But. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's go. Awesome. Awesome. So, based on your personal experience, whether it's within your practice, and of course, at the laws, we're not going to go dive all into things. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, and what you observe as far as in your profession, and as well as being out and out, at, I guess you could say, in the world. What have you noticed that has been a major disparity in the black community as far as mental health is concerned mm-hmm. that could also affect the economical aspect of mm-hmm. this as well? Sure. So one of the things, well, first I want to say, um, one, like by and large, like we have a lot of trouble getting help, mm-hmm. you know, or then like when we often do, like it's like um, it's really late in the game and things have gotten really right. bad. Or it, it has to get to a point where it's terrible and destitute mm-hmm. before we can feel like it's worth going or you know what I mean mm-hmm. or sometimes we talk about mental health if it's, it's a luxury right. as if you're like having a mind is a luxury you know we right. all have a mind so that's you have true. mental health just like that's you have a body you have physical health that is, right? that's a good mm-hmm. um, and also like Marion kind of said in the beginning crazy <laughs> you know when you want to take those steps you think oh I'm you may feel like that yeah exactly. so there's stigma like, right exactly. there's a lot of stigma to us so the, the other thing is that for us it's really really hard to um to admit when things are wrong mm-hmm. like we're we're used to there's that old adage right you got to be mm-hmm. twice as good to get half as far mm-hmm. right okay. black family folklore exactly and, and it's, it's true so okay. you see with the magic johnson situation <laughs> that isn't always true <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get that reference. What's what's up? I mean, if you think about the gentleman that he called the backstabber, is he Magic Johnson? Is he anybody that could be I got at you. this level? Yeah. Asked, how did he get that far? Right, right, right. Sure. To sure. disrespect somebody like that. Yeah, sure. I mean, we can look at a lot of different examples. We can um, of of people of color having to be stellar uh, mm-hmm. before you know ever getting anywhere right Right. but what comes with that and that's our normal that's our status quo but what comes with that is us literally stressing out trying harder being overworked and literally getting half as far and so we're used Mm -hmm. to feeling so stressed Mm -hmm. and what's normal doesn't always raise alarms Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so for us struggling is just it's just struggle it's like we're supposed to suffer it's like it's a part it becomes this normalized thing exactly but the reality is like this is really freaking hard and right. it's really hard to be black in America right. and it's really like and it's 
you know, you have all these messages constantly telling you you're not good enough, right? right. You have to, you have. So all that to say, like, I think it's it's hard for us often to get help, mm-hmm. and we have a lot of things that tell us we're not good enough, or that our pain isn't bad enough, that invalidates us, and it's um it puts us in a bind, okay. right? And it creates stigma. Yeah. To that end, uh, one thing that we often see is at times, right? There can be this. Um, glorification of material possession Mm -hmm. like in our communities Mm -hmm. um i actually don't think it's um as um i actually don't think it's as bad as we like to play it up to be or that it's an issue that if resolved would yeah Mm -hmm. would resolve like all of our problems i really don't believe that it's like there used to be this adage like why people stop buying jordans like we'd have like more Mm -hmm. like that's not that's Mm -hmm. a fallacy it's not true it also suggests that black people are uniquely bad at money that's also Mm -hmm. not true right Right? but what you do see is that sometimes like we like to accumulate things so that we can have tangible evidence of our worth. Right. Right? And right. Like part of that is because we are literally constantly told that we ain't worth nothing. Right. right? Mm-hmm. We have to say Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. because okay. we, you know, nope. our okay. life doesn't matter often in, when it comes to our large agencies exactly. in, this right. commun- in, in this society, right? Mm-hmm. So when we're constantly receiving those messages, we sometimes put our money into things that could... We could reclaim a sense of value and worth, mm-hmm. exactly. and that's a challenging. Um, that can be a, a, a double-edged thing, right? Okay. Because right. when you make those poor financial decisions, it can come back to bite you. You've seen that personally, like you know, whether it's you know in your personal relationships or even just observing how the trends are with others that may be similar to your age group or things of that nature. I think, I think, right? We all, we all want to be um worthy Mm -hmm. right and we all want to feel valuable right right? you know and the social media culture makes that all the more competitive to try to get right now in the social media do you see a lot of of that playing into a lot of the the trite that we're facing as far as the to some degree i think it amplifies a lot of different things like mm-hmm. it amplifies insecurities it, it amplifies we naturally we all of us naturally compare ourselves to other people it's right. a very natural normal process but and social media from a doctor so right. when you say you don't care what other people think it's like of course you do yeah, <laughs> yeah we're <laughs> but, human but, we're human at the end of the day of course. I think that comes and it's first okay. it's yeah. okay but I do like what social media has done. It has it brings awareness, mm-hmm. especially around these type of conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin Media speaks. Uh, Justin, <laughs> Dr. Hopkins, sorry. <laughs> Speaking of She's social media, and also, um, you've done a really good job on social media when it comes to you know, speaking out loud about you know, black men and you know, getting that you know, mental health, gets just seeing a you know, a therapist and all that good stuff like that. And also on your podcast, um what's the name of your podcast again? The Black Unconscious. The Black Unconscious. Yes. We, yes. Did, we did two seasons. Uh our production has ended for now, but mm-hmm. um we have twenty seven episodes that are still out on iTunes. Yes. Um, Please and check Spotify it. and pretty much anywhere yeah. you can find a podcast. Please check it out because Justin actually Doctor Hopkins throws a lot of gems out there. Him along in his along with his co- his host, you know, they talk a lot about um, just mental health, especially within the black community. Mm-hmm. And I liked some of the things that you said on your podcast, kind of what I speak to on this podcast in reference to, you know, having these type of conversations, exactly. despite that it makes, you know, white people uncomfortable. Yeah. I read a book 
by Robin D'Angelo. She actually talks about white frugality and why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism and just in general why, unfortunately, they put out there that, you know, people consume the idea that black people are bad individuals. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a really good book. And it just reminded me of the conversations you had on your podcast, especially about speaking about conversations and topics that's very uncomfortable, such as racism. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and to that point, that's important, right? Like that we find spaces and that we're able to talk about things, even if it's going to make some people uncomfortable because our comfort isn't in the narrative, right? It's not, we don't, we don't have space, right? The norms of like how people communicate and certain cultures and workplace environment, they don't make space for us. So naturally, if you're going to make space for somebody where there was no space initially, there's going to be some things shifting, there's going to be discomfort, Mm -hmm. and that has to happen. Conversations about race, liberty, equality, diversity, actually, like, being a part of... of, um, of the workspace or any space really like all of those things come with a bit of discomfort and it mm-hmm. has to happen that way in order to make space for everyone and just and not just some people that's perfect that was beautiful that's well said that's why he's a doctor <laughs> <laughs> okay let them know okay perfect and so again because again he is a doctor um <laughs> We, we get expert advice. This is the best place to I don't think going to forget, guys. You don't, yeah, right. don't have to get reminded. Every five seconds. He's a doctor. And he's our friend who happens he to be a doctor. You've got to give props and props to him. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, let's not forget that part. He's a doctor. And who did it? So, with that being said, uh, Dr. J Hop, <clears throat> um, I actually read an article. Um, by inequality.org by Richard Wilkinson and Kate Pickett and they were talking about how inequality endangers our mental health. Yes, absolutely. And so um, you state, you know, as far as your particular uh, style is concerned, you're a psychodynamic clinician. That's correct. Um, And so you deal with the unconscious. Yes. So when it comes to that, specifically, in layman's terms, events, <laughs> events that we may have experienced in our past. In layman's terms. Yeah, layman's terms. You didn't think I was yeah, going to use layman's terms? Huh? You didn't think I was going to use layman's terms? Yeah, that's okay. Again, we don't want to see my Freud theory in face of that nature. Possibly. Just because I didn't read it. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, and so with the psychodynamic clinician um, aspect of your um how you, you view things, uh, you believe the unconscious mind plays a powerful role in the human development in everyday life. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so, with that being said, so our um, past experiences, we may have been either traumatized or may have been yeah. a victory, yeah. so to speak, can play into how we deal with everyday aspects, mm-hmm. decisions. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that? Sure, sure. So first, I guess with the psychodynamics piece, it's, and it's interesting you mentioned Freud because this is his theory. And <laughs> I know he's controversial. I didn't even try. <laughs> Shout out to Johnson C. Smith <laughs> University. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, there are a lot of uh, prominent uh, theorists that contributed to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's, he's certainly one of them. So basically the idea behind psychodynamic therapy uh, in theory is just that we have a conscious and an unconscious mind. There are things that we know that we know about ourselves. Mm-hmm. The conscious part is how what how you basically 
um, what you would call you. Mm-hmm. It's the I or the you that you would refer to. That's mm-hmm. that's what you know that you know about yourself. Okay. And the unconscious mind is basically a storage of all the things that you've experienced over the course of your life and how that's impacted you developmentally, your memories of it, the emotional experiences you've had. These are all things that you're not aware of, but it's so mm-hmm. much vaster than your conscious mind. So all that to say, we only... No, uh, we're only conscious of what we experience in small part. Mm-hmm. Right. And in therapy, you can actually become more aware of your experience and learn more about yourself, be more integrated, and come up with novel ways to actually deal with some of the things that you're that you go through by right. actually being more informed of what your experience is mm-hmm. and how you actually feel. Um, so, uh, in addition to that, there are a lot of things that we endure that we repress, right? That we right. put aside, that we don't acknowledge for whatever reason and it feels too taboo. All those things still remain within you and actually do impact your day-to-day life quite a bit. So, um, in learning more about yourself, you can actually uh, uh, uncover new ways to feel, new ways to think, mm-hmm. um, new ways to manage your life in ways that can bring you some more fulfillment and um, bring you a happier life, and, and so to speak. So to awesome. your question, right? Mm-hmm. About, Thanks for the background. Got it. Got it. <laughs> for sure, for sure, for sure. So uh, your second question, which was, ooh, I don't think, I'm not sure I remember. My second question was, pretty much usually speaking to it, speaking on, speaking on it, like how our unconscious experiences um, as play a role for black role, folks. Yeah, okay. whether it be right, traumas right. and or victory. Yeah, how yeah, they play yeah. a role in our everyday decisions. Sure, okay, okay, great, Gregory. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you, because I definitely, like, I forgot that for a second. Okay, so I think for black folks, right, um, our history in this country is one of, um, is, is one in which our humanity has always been in question. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Our humanity has always been a question. We Not, started as three fifths of a human. Well, mm-hmm. we started as no human, right? Like right. as cattle, like exactly. basically like um, objects, right? Mm-hmm. We became three fifths of human. Um, there's even um, the New Deal. That uh-huh. uh, there's Jim Crow, and then there's the Great Depression. There's the New Deal that basically formed the middle class with mm-hmm. all right. of those government subsidies. Black folks weren't included in that. Mm-hmm. There's the New Jim Crow through mass incarceration. And just the overall exploitation of you know black people. Yeah, the way they justified it was to say, hey, you know, we we did all this terrible stuff for these people because they're not human. Yes, they got exactly. wiped out. They wiped exactly. out a whole nother community of people. You know, the indigenous people. And then the next thing was now it's time to go ahead and wipe these people out, but let's let's uh, justify it mm-hmm. right and this that, way by making it and that kind mm-hmm. of shows and you can um, you can elaborate or you can um, jump in with this uh, Doctor J. Huh? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it kind of bleeds into even this modern day aspect of how blacks or you know children of the African diaspora are viewed mm-hmm. as not human. That's yeah, why absolutely. you have mm-hmm. the, you know, we have to have organizations like Black Lives Matter. That's right, why, right. unfortunately, in some aspects, mm-hmm. uh, people believe that affirmative action, we don't need it in some instances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, when it comes to <laughs> diversity campaigns, it's, oh, we're okay with our role because we're able to handle, you know, the responsibilities in one aspect without being compensated for what we're actually for what we actually deserve because we're okay with it. Yeah. We've always been known as a support system and being quote unquote okay with it. Yeah, I mean that's the story that um 
that some white folks often tell themselves mm-hmm. about black folks because it makes it easier to mm-hmm. abuse, brutalize, and dismiss mm-hmm. our pain. Right. Right? And so we have to say Black Lives Matter, and it's like, that's controversial to say mm-hmm. my life matters. Exactly. Michael Shea from SNL does this bit about, like, how mm-hmm. he's like, Black Lives Matter. It's a controversial statement. Mm-hmm. How? Like, what's black. less than matters? Exists? <laughs> Can we say that black lives exist? Is that okay? But it is controversial to say that our life matters, right? Right. And so I, I think for us, there are certainly ways in which we've internalized that, right? Mm-hmm. Again, the norms of society are... No- are uh, at their standard oppressive towards us and tell us that we don't matter. That's been our entire history here, Mm -hmm. fighting for our humanity. And I think there are ways for us where we have a hard time mattering enough to ourselves where we're caring for ourselves enough. Mm-hmm. Right. right, where we not minimizing what we feel, mm-hmm. we're not being told, oh, this, I, well, I, this this is bad, but so and so has it worse. So and so's problem does nothing for your problem. Exactly. Right. If you've Fair. got one inch, uh, one knife in your back, and so and so has three, mm-hmm. both of y'all need to go to the hospital. Exactly. Right. Okay. So that doesn't; those three knives don't nullify the one. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's just it's an issue, and it matters. It right. matters when you struggle. It matters when you have an issue. But for a lot of us, I think we have a very hard time because we live in a society that again naturally invalidates and dehumanizes us Mm -hmm. actually caring for our own humanity in ways that can be healing and can help us live a more fulfilling life right and i'm happy that you um bore a lot of this stuff up i think this is great conversation you 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 nailed it you hit it right in the bullseye the bullseye right there i'm gonna be so young (laughs) (laughs) but i i actually have this conversation um especially with one of our uh other co-hosts so you know um, but we talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, how our community, we have that. Yeah, sure. Um, so a lot of people don't realize 400 years of slavery and not just the effects of slavery because people are like, okay, well, you wasn't alive during slavery. It's not about slavery. It's about what's been passed down through the generations. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I think... So I'm going to get a little bit... We never really dealt with those issues, to be honest, as America as a whole. America as a whole has not dealt with the issues yeah. of yeah. racism or slavery, the aftermath effects. Right, right. No, absolutely not. And, we, and the country still doesn't want to deal with it. And yeah. can you even speak, you know, again, because of your profession, um, when have you noticed, like, the shift as far as our... I guess acceptance of the mental um, aspect of of getting help due to the past, you know, parameters or the past pain that has kind of snowballed to and it kind of come to head Today. as a, a model. Right. Yeah, because that's what generational curses. Mm-hmm. We can we can accept that better. Generational curses right. than mental health issues um, that are um, not I want to say hereditary, but that are a part of our family. You're saying, is it easier for people to kind of accept how um, generations are influenced? Or as far as traumas are concerned. Sure. So post-traumatic, yeah. You know, as far as the the generational post-traumatic. So, you know... um, Go ahead and elaborate on that. Yeah. Because I don't think you ever... Yeah, so I'll say, like, real quickly, right? There's, like, there's, like, a lot of research to show, like, literally how trauma was passed down in the Holocaust, right? Like, through um, Jewish survivors, Mm -hmm. you know, how that continued through the generations, Mm -hmm. like, things that they they were weary of, like, Mm -hmm. or emotions that um, were taboo in their communities that Mm -hmm. they weren't allowed to feel. And the Holocaust was about... The Holocaust was about 13 years, 
Exactly. And you know, slavery was hundreds of years, mm-hmm. right? And so, yeah, a we've got we've got a lot of um, <laughs> we've got a lot of trauma, mm-hmm. and exactly. um, you know, there is a there is more of a readiness to accept the uh, the grave injustice and um, an abhorrent. Um, like tragedy that was the Holocaust, but not so much with slavery, right? It's, it's always this conversation. Well, like it's, um, you know, it's it's been so long ago. Well, yeah, but like police brutality is still happening now. There's still mm-hmm. active derivatives of slavery that are still happening now. I mean, that continue to cause us trauma. And I mentioned this in the last uh, podcast episode. At the end of the day, slavery has been commercialized, um, and there's a lot of policies and a lot of things still in place to this day that. It's proven that it shows that, you know, how it still affects and hurts the black community. I mean, black codes started initially right after slavery. And I don't know, you know, do a little bit more research on this, um, listeners, but just type in black codes and see how it was enforced on the black community shortly right after slavery ended. Mm -hmm. And some of those examples are when it comes to, unfortunately, uh, the prison. Prison yeah. systems, how prisons uh, basically got so big yeah. shortly right after slavery. It's like, okay, we're going to enforce these laws yeah. on, you know, the yeah. black community right. or primarily from people that uh, just finished. Okay, slavery ended. Now, if you don't have a job, you can go to jail. Now, if you don't, um, if you're out past a certain curfew, just little things like that. You know, if you're hungry and you're starving, if you still, stuff like misdemeanors, basically misdemeanors turned into uh, huge felonies, and that's sure, how the yeah. uh, prison population grew so yeah. fast and rapidly, uh-huh. and, and is this big. Yeah, I mean, we we see it's it's still very much prevalent today, right? Like, for mm-hmm. example, like non-violent drug-related mm-hmm. crimes. Like, black folks are four to five times more likely to get arrested for non-violent drug-related crimes, mm-hmm. even though uh, cultural groups in the U.S. use drugs at about the same rate. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you know, and and so we're not talking about like people who sell people with large quantities. Uh, we're just talking about people who recreationally use, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, black folks are policed more. So I think it's it's definitely, it's a trauma that is present. It's not mm-hmm. just the past, but it's still in the present. Mm-hmm. And one way to explain, like, how it's passed down is, right, there's this, um, there's this hierarchy of psychological needs, right? Mm-hmm. Like, starting from, like, things that, there's a guy named Maslow, uh, Abraham Maslow, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And it starts from the very basic level of things that you need to survive uh-huh. all the way up to, like, higher order of self-fulfillment, self-actualization, becoming the best kind of person that you need, right? Okay. But you can't reach those higher order needs unless you actually have the basic needs in check. So ooh, right, okay. right at the bottom is going to be, like, what? Oxygen, air, food. Somewhere in the middle is, like, love and belonging. Oh. And then, like, at the top, there's going to be... Is that over shelter? Uh, shelters in there as well like shelters uh-huh. like right right maybe the next step above like mm-hmm. food and like air and like, you know what I mean and then uh, and then like self-actualizing self-fulfillment is going to be all the way at the top right? okay for a lot of us uh, for a lot of us um, if we're not in poverty we're only a couple generations removed exactly and so when you're struggling and you're struggling to survive right you do not have the ability to look for those higher order needs, which okay. means many of our parents were jobs that they hated, suffered in positions that they did not like, and felt like how they felt about it did not matter because they just needed to put food on the mm-hmm. table. And that brings a very interesting point, Dr. Hall, because and, right. as far as it is tied into modern day, 
we've all grew up and we all came out of college doing what? Right after the uh, real estate bubble burst yeah. um, in 2008. We remember where everybody mm-hmm. canceled their campaigns and had to run to D.C. in October 2008 because of the collapse. So our class of 2010 from college were um, the ones that experienced the economy first coming right out of college. Right. We were told before going to college, specifically, I know for sure Monique and I, uh, coming from Delaware, just go to college. You yeah. can major yeah. in physical education. It doesn't matter. You get a degree, you come out, and you're going to get a job. Due to exactly what you're stating as far as our parents and, you know, family members, you know, from what they believe was how to achieve the American dream, the economic um, stability, um, we were told to do this, we come out and the landscape is totally different. Yeah. And it was just something that we were sold overall and Mm -hmm. to like kind of talk about because that actually lets that ties right back into the podcast in Mm -hmm. terms of wealth. Mm -hmm. Wealth within our um, within the black community is actually about what 1,500 and just about right before the uh, market crashed in 2006 wealth was 6,000 so wealth within the white community um, is at a hundred and what 30,000 120,000 to this day Prior to that, it was one hundred and thirteen net worth for uh-huh. per family. So that's a lot one of what uh, one in seven white person is, um, you know, and as far as wealth is concerned, one in fifty house- households of blacks are right. right. So basically, right, right. so for every hundred dollars white people have, black people have five dollars. So to that mm-hmm. end, right, like when you, um, so for many of our family members who grew up on survival. Mm-hmm. Right, and where like the next generations they can do a little bit more than just survive. Like the generation who just had to survive, like right. they like how they feel didn't matter. Right. So they can't net they they and uh, for many the vote, they didn't right. want sure, to be sure. Even, you know, problematic, I guess that's what it's called. But and I think also like uh, to them because they're trying to survive, how they feel didn't matter. Like, you know, they're doing the best that they can to relate and and be there for us, Mm -hmm. but may not necessarily, um, may not necessarily be able to relate to us who are like the, the, the newer generation of, of black, black youth and black young adults who are trying to take care of themselves mm-hmm. and actually like say like well how I feel does matter mm-hmm. and I want to do things to be successful mm-hmm. in life. Exactly. And so there's this gap, right, in mm-hmm. terms of how like parents relate to their children mm-hmm. about they what is possible. Dreamers. Yeah, or that mm-hmm. the self-care thing is a luxury, right? Mm-hmm. Like a parent caring about how their child feels is a luxury, right? <laughs> right. Like that's it becomes this well no, like actually those are the building blocks of communication of mm-hmm. relationships of bonding and and trust, Mm -hmm. right, that actually go on to help a person be a healthy, functioning individual Mm -hmm. in a relationship. But when you're built up, when you you grow up on survival, Mm -hmm. you may not necessarily have those things, and the trauma continues, and it makes Mm -hmm. it hard to kind of relate to other people or feel valid in your own feelings because your mm-hmm. folks or your the people the generations before you can't relate to that because exactly. they themselves exactly. couldn't access that exactly. because they were just trying to survive. Exactly. So that's just a small way in which right. I think trauma is passed down from generation mm-hmm. to generation, right. and it definitely affects um, our relationships. Mm-hmm. It affects how we look at money. It right. also affects how we feel about ourselves in terms of feeling validated enough mm-hmm. to actually pursue the things that that, that could fulfill us in life. And I feel like one of the main things is that what people don't realize, this is what we talk about, especially within real estate, money just buys you time in a sense, Mm -hmm. um, if that makes any sense. So 
when you're talking about survivor mode, because me and my brother talk about that all the time, when you're like, hey, you know, I got to make this much money so I could do X, Y, and Z, you can't focus on, like, what's fun. You can't focus on, you know, just yeah. enjoying life and, you know, trying to go after some of your aspirations. You're like, hey, I got I to gotta put food on the table, so let me go get money, let me go find it and put food on the table. And, so, and to add to that, too, what you said about the enjoying yourself and the aspirations, mm-hmm. that's actually part of your necessities mm-hmm. and a part of your survival because right. it helps keep you motivated right. to survive and to provide for the necessities that you need right right but if you have to put food on the table it's like you got to kind of put aside certain things so you could just say i gotta just make ends meet you do and and, right like our and and i guess to that end what i'm saying is because of the wealth gap Mm -hmm. and again like i I even said earlier you were talking about some of the codes that kept black people out of wealth Mm -hmm. and even um again so we were saying like slavery three-fifths jim crow Mm -hmm. the great depression Mm -hmm. and then there's again the new deal mm-hmm. the, those subsidies government subsidies mm-hmm. that actually built the modern day middle class right. uh, that were given to everybody well mm-hmm. black folks weren't considered part of the every of right course. so we homestead didn't have act. that the mm-hmm. homestead act yes. is perfect it's yeah a perfect exactly example. so and homestead act to this day uh it's about it's like 14 million families in america that are still uh, benefiting from the homestead act mm-hmm. to this yeah. day and yeah. the homestead act yeah. was, was what happened back in 1889 yeah. Yeah, well, well, hundred <laughs> years ago. Let's just well, say that. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. So the so the like the the average white family has had access and opportunity, right. um, like hundreds of times over more right. than the average, excuse me, black family, and so that. There's so many things affected by that. Obviously, wealth and your finances mm-hmm. day to day, but also your own emotional health. Yes. Because when you are in poverty, what you um, when you're in poverty, it creates such a distressing psychological mm-hmm. state, mm-hmm. right? Yes. People in poverty, black folks in poverty, are five times more likely to experience a mental health issue mm-hmm. than than other folks, right? And even without poverty, we're more likely to express hopelessness or mm-hmm. depressing kind of symptoms. And we're also um, 20% more likely to endorse a serious mental illness. This is, exactly. And this is both due to racial discrimination, but also to um, issues concerning fi- financial inequality, which is also a racial issue. So I, I think all of these things definitely over overlap. How mm-hmm. um, the trauma is both financial and, mm-hmm. of course, um, psychological, exactly. and it um, was passed down through the generations. And substantial evidence links greater wealth with better health. Studies have found longi- longitudinal associations between greater wealth and many favorable health outcomes, including lower mortality, higher life expectancy, lower rates of chronic diseases, and decreased risk of obesity, hypertension, and better functional status throughout life. Yeah, right, right. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's really, it's really um, messed up. A lot of times when we talk about these like health statistics, you know, whether it be physical health or mental health, and I just cited some, I think oftentimes if you just look at those in isolation, what happens is some people think, well, black folks are just bad at this. And mm-hmm. really like, you know, there's there's a context here, right? There's mm-hmm. a there's there 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 is an entire history of why certain things are the way that they are, mm-hmm. right? Like there is an entire history of why there is a wealth gap, and therefore why there is a health gap, mm-hmm. right. why black folks yes. in 
uh, struggle more with their mental health and sometimes physical physical mm-hmm. health. Why we have higher rates of hypertension and diabetes, right? Mm-hmm. And it's exactly what you're talking about. Obviously, if you make more money, <laughs> right. you can spend that the time to take care of exactly. yourself, exactly. and you can pay whatever right. doctor you want and to to take care take of you. Care. Exactly. You know? exactly. So obviously, this plays a role. <laughs> and when you're left out of wealth, right. those things have an impact on your physical health, but mm-hmm. also on your mental health as right. well. And so it's not that black folks are uniquely bad at these uh, taking care of themselves. I would say that we have, there are certain um, physical structures in society mm-hmm. that make that challenging. Mm-hmm. And also there's an, an emotional climate in this world that makes it hard for us to exactly. to actually care for ourselves. Yeah, and it's just definitely, it's just unfortunate. There's a lot of consumers of these racist ideas and they just are just led to believe that you know, there's something wrong with black people and not, like, the policies. It's not, And also about, you know, black people being enslaved and oppressed and confined. You know, people just think, like, oh, you know, that's, uh, you know, those are black people. That's their problems. Like, they're just, that's yeah. just how they are. But they don't understand that how important we, we blacks, whatever, are to the actual economic growth or the yeah. economic stability. You know, for blacks to be what what thirteen percent or so of the population, um, one point two trillion of the uh, GDP, yeah, the GDP belongs to the black community. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, we're important to the economy. Very. So for us to be kind of pushed aside, or oh well, they're not that big of a deal. Well, it comes into our melanin levels. Like, if you don't like our black, if we start getting to those protests of, you know, economical protests of, you know, you don't like our black, you don't get our green, mm-hmm. then we'll start getting an issue. Right. Mm-hmm. So do you feel, and this is probably one of Rahal's questions, uh, when it comes to our cancel culture, um, how it plays into our psyche, um, that it plays into a way that it can affect how we feel a, about the dollar and about how we feel about how important we are to the the mass to to the the population or to the American culture. What do you mean when you say I I mean I've heard like cancel culture obviously. That's the Gucci but... situation with the or the H and M situation. Yeah, I mean. I think cancel culture is just a really complicated thing. I do think, like, there's some people who just need to be canceled. R. Kelly, canceled, gone. Like, <laughs> he, needs to, he needs to go. He needs to be canceled. Like, some people need to, get, need to be canceled and don't need to be forgiven until they, they actually atone and make significant these efforts companies, to. these big companies? Like, we're but, so right. quick to cancel so, artists, you know, for their wrongdoings, but we're not very quick to cancel Gucci. We're not very uh, quick to cancel, you know, a lot of these yeah, H&M, I mean, H&M, H&M no. and who else? It was Louis Vuitton, Louis Vuitton right? It's a bunch of other companies that did a and lot of... And I've seen of, some protests. Like, they're, mm-hmm. they're like protests here But we don't there. cancel it. I mean, the other thing is, like, <laughs> we're, not, like we're not a monolith, right? Like, mm-hmm. we, we're... The, the days of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King are, are over, where we have a single leader to represent all of our needs. We're mm-hmm. way more diverse than that. We're... Mm-hmm. We're, we're growing in waves. And so we don't have a leader. We mm-hmm. are not one people. We're a diverse people, right? right? Like, blackness is a diaspora. So, but I think, like, sh- like our, our money does go a long way. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we can do more to um, make sure that we are, we're, um, you know, just mindful of, like, what it is that we're spending our mm-hmm. money on and where those motives come from, mm-hmm. as I was okay, saying so earlier about, yeah. like, like how we feel about ourselves and um, the decisions that we make financially are very much intertwined. Perfect. I like the fact that you're also, 
we're going to wrap this up very soon, but I like the fact that you are, you know, coming into being an entrepreneur. I think a big part, mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of arguments in, re in reference to, you know, integration is kind of like some of our, um, and this might be another topic for a different time, <laughs> might be, you know, another issue that has kind of like slowed down the progression of uh, black people in our wealth. We're not becoming, you know, we're so busy, hey, trying to keep up with like the Joneses and we want this and want this of other, you know, communities. But instead of building within our own community, you know, supporting our entrepreneurs, becoming entrepreneurs, instead of just going to school to get a degree, because it looks good and sounds great to everybody else, all these accolades, yeah. um, but not actually utilizing it and running off and just working for somebody. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about entrepreneurship within the, our community? I think it takes a lot of courage. A business owner. Uh, I think it takes a lot of courage. It's it's not an easy thing um, for a lot of us. Again, um, you know, being black in, in America is one of those things where your mistakes are going to be louder than anything, mm, right? Perfect. Like white folks mm. have the luxury of making mistakes and still being Fair. treated humanely, but our mm -hmm. mistakes echo so much louder. And so um, it becomes really hard, I think, right. when... Uh, you feel like you could possibly mess up and like what would this mean about you and any possible mistake can be a really terrible thing so um, I, I just think it takes a lot of courage a mm -hmm. lot of grace and forgiveness to, to shed those rigid inhumane expectations of perfection and like you can't uh, you can't fail I think entrepreneurship is about work it's mm -hmm. also about leaning into the risk leaning mm -hmm. into the anxiety and the mm -hmm. insecurity and mm -hmm. And um, going forth with courage, knowing mm -hmm. that even your best plans, there, there will be up and downs, there will be challenges. Right. Um, and uh, I think for us, again, like we, we often give ourselves like very little room to wiggle, but we have to be able to allow ourselves so to critical. make mistakes yeah. and, and take the initiative to, to take the leap and go mm -hmm. into the things that you want to do. Um, because you, you get one life and, and you deserve that, to take that risk as so many other people are afforded. Oh, perfect. Beautiful. And how can these wonderful listeners find you and, you know, connect with you? I know you're eventually jumping into that role of entrepreneurship yourself. Yeah, I have a private practice now. Uh, it's in um, it's in DuPont Circle on Connecticut Street, uh, just north of the uh, DuPont Circle Metro Station. Um, Is it a you can find secret practice? What's the name? No. <laughs> 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 I'm, a, I'm a sole practitioner, so it's, it's just my name. <laughs> uh, and um, you can find me on uh, jshopkins.com. That's okay. drjshopkins.com. I'm on psychology. Any, kind of, um, any like punctuation? Uh, just DRJS stuck out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> trying to put you out there. Uh, um, I'm also media. on Psychology Today. It's oh. one of the um, Ooh, biggest resources really in the nation yeah. for mm -hmm. finding a mental health professional. Mm -hmm. And I'm also have a page on therapy for black girls. Um, oh. So you can find me on any of those. Nice. You can also find me on Instagram at DRJS Hopkins. And um, I do currently work part-time as a staff psychologist at Georgetown Law School. Um, and so um, I'm kind of those... Those those two places right now. So, okay. all right. So, Doctor J S S Hopkins, y'all know where to find him at. You do. Rewind it if you uh, you missed it. He was kind of talking kind of fast. But <laughs> I must be the queen. I'm being encouraged to wrap up. Awesome. Right. <laughs> uh, so, thank you, Justin, for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you, guys. You know, thank you, listeners out there, for tuning in. And be sure to join us next time on Young Black. Come on, Justin. I, I am Let's do it again, Justin. <laughs>
what? Wrap it up at the end, Justin? I thought I did it. Why don't we just start it again from the top? Because I, I was waiting for it. I, you don't have to wrap it Okay. Thank you guys for tuning in. And join us next time for... Young, Black, Black and, and I Invest. Yay, Justin! Yay, Justin! I mean, Dr. Hop. <laughs> Bye. Justin's fine. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today on the Young, Black, and I Invest Show. Always remember, economic stability is a necessary part of freedom. Inequality crushes economic growth. A people cannot exist freely without it. So peace, love, and equality. Until next time, people. We'll